right. Well, good morning, Trace. How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody getting, feeling good? Glad to be here. Beautiful Colorado morning. Thanks so much for being here with us at Trace. Uh, this is just a small part of what we do as a church, but we think it's a very important part of what we do. So thanks for making the gathering a priority. I want to say welcome to all of you in this room. I want to say welcome to those of you watching online, maybe listening at a later time. Thanks for joining the conversation. But a special shout out to our guest joining us. I want to share something with you that keeps happening that's kind of interesting. It's kind of just this new paradigm of way of doing church. Uh, it's not uncommon for Sundays for somebody to come up to me and I'm like, hey, are you new here? It's like, I've never seen you before. You know, hey, good morning. And they're like, well, we know you because we've been watching for the last six months during COVID. And so I haven't gotten to meet them personally. So it's like, they feel like they know me, but I don't know them. And so it's just this new thing. But uh, whatever brought you here today, we're incredibly grateful uh, that you are here. And I think you will appreciate the conversation that we have today. Today, we are going to be uh, wrapping up this series called God Never Said That. And we're going to be looking at a phrase that you've likely heard, and you would maybe think that it comes from the Bible because you've heard it so much and likely even heard it in Christian circles. But uh, it's actually something that God never said, and it's actually something that we don't ever see in God's word. And so I want to say it out loud together this morning. As soon as it comes up on the screen, ready? One, two, three. Everything happens for a reason. How many of you would say, or just raise your hand, if you've ever said that or if you've ever had that said to you, raise your hand, everybody, if, you, if you've heard it or you've said it, yes, so obviously we've got some work that we need to do today. And I want to go ahead and let you know up front uh, that I'm going to confuse you a little bit, but hopefully bring some clarity to the conversation by the time we're done, because I would say that this statement is both true and untrue at the same time. And if you're curious what I mean by that, just hang on. Hopefully I can bring some clarity to that. I think the first time that I likely ever heard the statement, everything happens for a reason, was probably in high school. And maybe that's true for you too, because at that point in time, right, we've all lived enough life, we've all experienced enough pain that somebody probably said that to us, right? It could have been a breakup, you know, your first big heartbreak. Uh, it could have been a betrayal from a friend. It could have been an actual like serious tragedy. Maybe you lost a friend or a loved one. And so my guess is that a well-meaning Christian, likely, a well-meaning Christian looked at you and while you were trying to process through whatever painful moment that you were experiencing, they said, everything happens for a reason. Now, I can't speak for you, but when that statement was first said to me, I think I can actually remember the, uh, the source of pain that was happening in my life at the time. And when it was said to me, I remember both feeling comfort, but even more confusion. I was feeling some comfort because this idea where it's like, hey, you know, Aaron, as you're going through this, everything happens for a reason. It kind of insinuates the idea. It kind of uh, highlights the notion that there's some purpose behind my pain. And so, yes, that would bring some comfort. But even more so than that, I experienced a lot of confusion because if everything happens for a reason, that means I have to look at every event, every event of tragedy, of pain, of suffering, and I have to put it in the same basket that we're insinuating that this phrase means because of what we're saying that it means, hey, everything happens for reasons. In other words, God wanted this to happen in his master plan. And so now I have to put everything in that basket. And listen to me, if we follow that logic and we follow that theology, then God wanted that little girl to be raped. 
God wanted those children to die an excruciating death due to starvation. God wanted your marriage to end. God wanted you to have a miscarriage. God wanted you to be addicted to, you fill in the blank. If everything happens for a reason, then God wanted the pastor to have a moral failure for the teenager to take their own life. If everything happens for a reason, then God wanted Tom Brady to get another Super Bowl ring. And we all know that that is not true. Can I get an amen? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. (laughs) You see, whether or not we're meaning to say these things or we're insinuating that all of that is true, when we say everything happens for a reason, we're saying that God wanted that to happen. He was behind all of it to fulfill some master plan of his. And even though our intentions may be pure, Even though our intentions, when we said that in the past, were hopefully to bring and show some compassion, my guess is they likely brought more confusion. And so what I wanna do today is, I wanna try to help you to have a better theological framework for the pain and suffering that you see all around you and the pain and suffering that you undoubtedly experience in your own life. Many years ago, when I was a pastor down in Arizona, I got a phone call, one of those phone calls that you don't ever want to get, but I got a phone call and on the other end of the phone was uh, a member of a family that was telling me that a tragic event had taken place. And she began to, uh, began to unfold this story that uh, her, a part of her family was at the, at the lake and they're a part of the church where I'm a pastor and they were at the lake and they had a 15-year-old daughter driving a jet ski and they had a 12-year-old daughter driving a jet ski and on the back of the 15-year-old daughter's jet ski was their eight-year-old little brother and they're doing what everybody's doing on jet skis, right? I mean, having a good time. It's hard not to have a good time on jet skis and so they're zigging and zagging and they had one of those moments where they were getting close to each other and they thought that they were gonna be turning away from each other but unfortunately they turned into each other, and that little 12-year-old girl directly hit her eight-year-old brother and killed him. A few days later, I'm sitting at their kitchen table, and I'm trying to help them to process through the pain that I can't imagine, I can't possibly imagine how they feel, but I'm doing my best to help them to process through this pain. And the mom, who had been very silent up to this point, kind of raised her head, And she looked at me and she said, how could this be God's purpose for my son? How could this be God's purpose for my daughter who's going to have to live with the guilt of this for the rest of her life? And so I said something to her in that moment that I would also say to you, if God forbid I ever have to sit on the other side of a kitchen table helping you to process through your own living hell. And it's a simple statement, it's this, Not everything happens. Not everything happens because God wanted it to. You see, somewhere along the way, she had bought the lie that this is exactly what God wanted to happen because everything happens for a reason. And so I spent the rest of my time trying to help her to understand something that I do know can be difficult to understand. I was trying to help her to understand the sovereignty of God, which means he's in complete control because he is, but also the fact that suffering and sorrow and sadness was not God's idea that it was ushered into this world because of sin. You see, when we say everything happens for a reason in the context, that it was meant to happen for some greater divine purpose, we are misrepresenting the heart of God and we are, we're actually practicing poor theology. But here's where I'm gonna speak out of both sides of my mouth. 
Everything actually does happen for a reason. Does it happen because God wanted it to? No, I don't believe that. I don't believe the Bible teaches that. But does it happen for a reason? Yeah, absolutely it happens for a reason. You see, when Adam and Eve chose to go against the will of God, they opened the door. They opened the door to sin. And as sin entered into the world, it held the door for the world to be introduced to suffering and sorrow and struggle. It was not God's idea. It was because of our own rebellion that we have to sit across the table from people that we love and try to process through the pain that they're going through in this life. You see, when sin entered into this world, because of our desire to go against the will of God, despair entered into this world as well. Disease entered into this world and death was right on its heels. And so my guess is that you and I both know people who have likely rejected the faith, who have likely decided not to walk through doors of places like this because how could a loving God allow all the pain and suffering that you see in this life? Do you know that the number one question about God, the number one question about God is, why does God allow so much pain and suffering in this life? And if that's the number one question about God, do you know what that means? It means that that's becoming the biggest obstacle for people to get to Jesus. And do you know what our greatest motivation here is at Trace? to remove every obstacle to get people to Jesus. And so doesn't doesn't it make sense that we would all do our due diligence to make sure that we're creating a healthy and accurate framework and theology around the subject of pain and suffering so that when you have to have those conversations with a friend or with a neighbor, a coworker, a family member, that you can actually help them understand accurately the heart of their heavenly father, that he didn't want that to happen, but in those moments, he wants to be there for you in a way that maybe you've never experienced his presence before in your life. God's, let me say that differently. Sin and suffering wasn't God's problem. It was a human problem. In Romans chapter five, Paul says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. You see, as followers of Jesus, we all need to have a better understanding of the cause and effect relationship between sin and suffering. The sin in our lives leads to consequences. And a lot of those consequences are wrapped up in the package of pain and suffering. Some of those consequences come on the other side of decisions that you made. And the decisions you made not only brought pain and suffering into your own life, but pain and suffering into the lives of others. Some of the pain and suffering that has been brought into your life was not your decision, but made from a decision of others. And you also need, just need to know that you're going to experience some pain and suffering in this life because of demonic activity. Not gonna get into the weeds on that today, but we're gonna be doing a series on evil in the fall and you definitely wanna come back for that. But there's been oppression from our enemy that revolves around the world that you're going to receive some pain and suffering from. But listen to me, all of it, all of it comes from a fractured creation. All pain, all suffering, all despair, all disease comes from a fractured creation. And we, and when I say we, typically as Americans, kind of posture up and it's like, well, it's not fair. It's not fair. 
even though we don't experience near the amount of pain and suffering that the majority of people experience around the world, even Christians, but we like to posture up because I think as Americans, we probably err on the side of, man, if we can't control it, then we can't make sense of it. And that gives us a, it gives us a harder or more difficult time to comprehend it because it'd be a lot easier for us just to say, good things should happen to good people and bad things should happen to bad people. But that's not how it works. I think even the disciples probably fell into this, this idea, this framework of, you know, you sin and you suffer. You sin and you suffer. It's kind of a one-to-one correlation. And Jesus took a moment in John chapter 9 to explain this in more depth. I want to read this to you. In John chapter 9, beginning in verse 9, it says, or beginning in verse 1, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? You see, this question does at least highlight the fact that his disciples would have had an understanding of the global impact of sin, right? There's sin and there's some suffering, but they look like they seem to err on the side of there's kind of this one-to-one correlation. Their assumption probably erred on the side of, hey, good things happen to good people. If you obey God, good things happen to good people, and then bad things happen to sinners, And Jesus notices this. And so he actually takes this moment and he corrects their theology. In verse three, it says, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. Jesus answered, this happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. In other words, no one's personal sin, pay attention here, because depending on the faith background that you grew up in, you need to get this. No one's personal sin was the reason for this man's blindness. It was the consequence of sin being in the world. In other words, there was no one-to-one correlation with people only receiving suffering because of the sin in their life. Guys, I believe if people would simply just study this text alone, it would correct a lot of faulty thinking and faulty theology on the subjects of pain and suffering. You see, ultimately what Jesus is saying here, and more importantly, what he's doing here is he's saying, listen, sin is in this world and therefore there's going to be suffering that comes from the consequences of sin. It's a global pandemic that all of us are going to feel the impact from. But more importantly, because Jesus heals this man of his blindness, what he's doing is he's showing that he has actually come into this world to overcome sin, to reverse the curse that sin brought into this world, which means... Yes, there will be consequences. Yes, there will be consequences for us today. There's going to be consequences for the sin in our life. And Jesus came to reverse that curse, but what it doesn't mean is that those consequences are going to go away today. You ready? I'm gonna tell you something that you're not gonna wanna hear. Because all this means that you can't pray it away, you can't faith it away, and you can't obey it away. Can I say it again? Because of the consequences, the global pandemic of sin in this world that ushered in suffering, that ushered in pain, that ushered in death and despair and disease, we're all going to be impacted by that to some extent so you can't pray it away, faith it away, or obey it away. And so listen, if you divorce your faith, if you divorce your faith from the fact that pain and suffering are going to be a regular part of your life or at least a part of your life, whether you're Christian or not, whether you follow Jesus or not, whether you're a good person or a bad person, however you would define that. If you try to divorce your faith from the inevitable 
aspect of each of our lives that we will experience some pain and suffering, you might end up not only disappointed, but you might end up deconstructing your faith because you built it on a faulty theology that never should have been a part of your faith foundation. I would encourage all of us to be careful. I would even go as far as to say, I would caution you when you meet Christians who try to promise their way around this. Maybe you've met some of them. If you just have more faith, the cancer will go away. If you just have more faith, if you just say this prayer, if you just give the church more money, if you just act more like Jesus, then the circumstances around your life are going to change. Listen, do I believe those things can affect, not all of them, what I just mentioned, but do I believe uh, our obedience and our faith and our prayer life can influence God? Yes, I do. Do I believe that we ever see anywhere in the New Testament that it's going to remove the pain and suffering from our life? No, I don't. And I would be cautious of people that are trying to kind of promise their way around this because they're either trying to manipulate you or they simply do not have an accurate understanding of the theology of pain and suffering. Everybody depressed enough yet? (laughs) So now what? Like, how do we cope? How do we survive? How do we keep from losing all hope in the midst of our own tragedies, whatever tragedy that's following you in here this morning? Because all of you came in here with a story and some of your stories do have maybe an immense amount of suffering that comes with them. What do we do with that? I think the answer is simple. Or maybe it's not. But here's what you do. You don't lose faith. Listen to me. You don't lose faith in the end of the story. You don't lose faith in the end of the story. You don't lose faith in the end of the story because on the other side of death, the Bible promises for all who believe in Jesus that they will fall into the open arms of a holy, loving, and gracious God. It is the greatest miracle that your heavenly father could ever give you. And so how do you stay the course When there's so much suffering happening around you, how do you persevere even though that suffering at times seems more severe than it should be for you? We remember that even though God didn't promise to take all of our pain away, what he did promise, he did promise is that he would use that pain. I think James tries to capture this for us in the beginning of his book when he writes it. This is the brother of Jesus. And he begins by saying, consider it. Like those two words are incredibly important words, right? Because he's getting ready to talk about having joy in our suffering. It's like, yeah, shut up, James. Are you kidding me? And so he begins by saying, like, consider it. In other words, maybe you need to change your perspective on this. Can I get you to potentially think about this differently? Because when it comes to the trials in our life, you probably wouldn't think of it this way. So would you consider it? Would you consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever, not if, Whenever, because you will, it's inevitable. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, those points of pain in your life, they're gonna produce something. 
They're gonna produce something. They're gonna produce perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Now, what I'm about to tell you, I probably couldn't tell you 10 years ago, but I'm kind of right now entering in what do they call the kind of the second phase of life. I'm gonna be 42 years old here in a couple weeks. And I think I've experienced enough life and I've experienced enough pain in my life now that I could tell you that I've seen this verse come to fruition in my life that I could go back and revisit some of the more painful moments of my life and I can see how God has used those to teach me things that he couldn't have possibly have taught me without that painful moment. Do I think God caused it? No, do I think he used it? Absolutely. And I've invited God into those moments with me more often as I've gotten a little bit older and I kind of see how he works and how he's used these. And so now when I go through a painful moment, God teach me something now that you won't be able to teach me later because right now you got my attention. Is that easy to do? No, it's not. But does it work? Absolutely. See, uh, pain and suffering, I think we get this, right? Pain and suffering, like by themselves, they're an entity, they're they're a force to be reckoned with. And so what often happens is pain and suffering bring this force into our life. Sometimes we didn't see it coming, it comes around a turn and it will do one of two things usually. It will either push you away from God or God will actually use it to draw you to himself which is why a proper theology on pain and suffering will help you discover the heart of your heavenly father. And an, but an inaccurate view, a faulty theology on pain and suffering may cause you to actually push the very person away in the moment where you need him the most. You may, you may very well push the person away who's saying, no, 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 I want to be here for you now more than I have ever been. I love how C.S. Lewis says it. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts, he shouts in our pain. Our hope, church, our hope is not in whether or not we have to go through or endure suffering. Our hope is not in whether or not we can make sense of some really good people who have to endure incredible amounts of pain and suffering. Our hope, listen to me, it's in how it ends. Our hope is in how it ends. When sin entered the world, suffering, sorrow, and death was right on its heels. The global condition of suffering is not a God problem. It is a human problem. Could God stop it? Yes, but will he today? No. And some of us may say, well, it's not fair. God didn't promise fairness. He promised forgiveness. Can I say it again? God didn't promise fairness, but he promised you forgiveness. And if you accept what his son did for you, then you will be given a new hope And the pain and suffering in your life, listen to me, I don't want to minimize it. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. I don't want to minimize it. But the pain and suffering in your life doesn't even compare to the future hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Should we fight against evil now? Yes, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying this morning. Should we fight against evil now? Yes. Should we pray against pain and suffering? Absolutely. Should we attempt to remove disease and destruction from this world? Yes, 
Will it make a difference? Absolutely. Will we win that battle? No, we won't. You see, sin, sin will have its way today. You probably have never heard a pastor say that. But sin will have its way today. But our hope, our hope, our hope is in how it ends. Let me read to this from, and I'll close with Romans chapter 8. Yet what we suffer now is nothing. Everybody say nothing. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers, we also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of the future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. Anybody else looking forward to that day? We too we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. Jesus. Jesus came as the solution to all sin and suffering. And even though sin will win today, our faith and hope is in how it ends because one day there will be a day where there's no more death, there's no more sorrow, there's no more pain. But listen to me, I've got to be honest with you, but not yet. But it's coming, <laughs> which is why our faith and our hope is in how it ends. I'm going to pray for us and I want to lead us into a time of response. Uh, God, I know this is a big subject. And Lord, I pray that you would use something that has been said. Hopefully it was your Holy Spirit guiding me to say the things that has been said this morning that people would maybe adjust some faulty theology. Maybe it would give them personal hope in a time of pain in their own life. God, I pray that we would come back to your text and we would clearly see that pain and suffering and disease and decay and ultimately death was not your desire, your desire was made perfectly known in the creation of the garden with Adam and Eve that you would walk with them, talk with them. But it was because of our desire to rebel against you that all of these things that we now hate have come into the world. But God, now we also have our future hope because we know Jesus came to reverse that curse and one day it will all be gone. And so until then, God, would you show us how we can alleviate some of the pain and suffering in other people's lives by our willingness to be available, to carry each other's burdens, to just sit down and listen. Let people know they're not alone. God, we know that a big part of your church was not only just to reach lost people, but it was to reach people that were hurting and broken and living a life of despair. May our desire to follow after you alleviate some of the pain and suffering in this life. We pray this in Christ's name.
amen. I'm gonna lead us into a time of response where if you're new here, um, we do this every week. Uh, We take something called communion. We come back to the cross. It's a very important part of this gathering. And I want you to think about something, especially in light of our conversation today. I want you to think about this. If we kind of follow the logic and dare I say even the theology that, well, good things should happen to good people and bad things should happen to sinners. Then what do we do with the crucifixion? Because in the crucifixion, we have the very worst possible thing happening to the very best possible person. And Jesus could have stopped at any time. Jesus could have put an end to it. He could have called a legion of angels if he wanted. He could have just said, you know what, I'm done. I don't really want to endure this any longer. Power was at his fingertips, but he chose to endure it. And he chose to go through it, ultimately leading to his death. Why? Because he wanted to give you eternal life. If you've never made the decision to invite Jesus to be the leader and Lord of your life, there's no better day than today. It's the most important decision that you'll ever make in your life. And so I wanna invite you to either come out and talk to us at Next Steps. If you wanna make that decision today, you can fill out the card in the seat back pocket in front of you. Just let us know who you are and that you wanna make that decision and we'll follow up with you. Because Jesus didn't come into this life to promise you fairness. He came in this life to give you forgiveness so that you could have a future hope and how it will one day all end. The way that we take communion here at Trace is to go one of these tables around the room where there's tables, you'll you'll see a cross. If you just find one of the crosses, you'll find some communion cups. And in those communion cups, there's gonna be some juice that represents the blood of Jesus that was spilled out for the forgiveness of our sins. And on the top is a wafer that represents his body that again, hung on a cross for you. And may we all remember that the gift of eternal life, the gift of grace, it's free, but it was not cheap. And it came on the other end of a lot of pain and suffering. If you also want to expose something today, you want to get something out and you want to go right out of prayer request, we got a couple of prayer tables in the back. Feel free to make your way back there. And maybe there's something that you're carrying right now. Maybe it's a, a part of your pain story. And if you want to write that out and invite us, allow us to pray for you and carry that burden with you through prayer, we'd love to do that. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to encourage you to respond. God, thank you again for this morning. and. God, as we come back to the cross, once again, remind us of the power that is made available to us because of what your son accomplished by defeating death. Remind us that even though we've been given the gift of eternal life, it doesn't take all the pain and suffering out of our life in this moment, but we have a future hope that one day it will all be gone. And Lord, I pray that you would allow that to give someone hope today. And so God, just want to turn this moment over to you. Let it be a thin space between you and your kids. I love you. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.